Welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. You can follow us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter. And uh, also you can send me an email at gabe at thestateoftheart.org. So we're still in the middle of the coronavirus. I shouldn't say in the middle. I don't even know if this is the middle or the beginning. Who knows? But it has kind of changed the way I think about time quite a bit. Um, I'm not sure exactly what to do with my days sometime. I teach usually, so I'm off for summer break now, just doing some podcasts and some side projects. But my days have sort of stretched out and become either really long feeling or incredibly short. Sometimes I wake up and uh, I check Twitter and then I go to sleep. And sometimes I spend hours just sitting around, like looking at the clock, wondering what's going on uh, and thinking about what I'm going to do with 2020 or trying not to think what I'm going to do with 2020. And our guest this week is an artist who specifically deals with time and not just human time, but ecological time, time that dates back to the Big Bang, uh, sort of the future of traces left on the Internet. I'm talking about Emilio Chapella, who is an artist who works with installation, uh, video pieces, sound works, and even uh, Google-generated poetry, we'll say. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Emilio Chapella to the podcast. Emilio, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, I always start these podcasts with asking how you're doing, but maybe I should ask what's on your mind lately. What have you been thinking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's um, strange times. Uh, a lot of thinking, uh, yeah. a lot of uh, uh, time uh, inside. I mean, um, it's, it's improving in some places in, in the world. But uh, yeah, a lot of thinking, especially on, on ways of, of how to uh, get closer uh, socially, uh, even if we are not allowed to, to be together and to hug. Okay, so I think it's uh, the possibilities of distance, I guess, thinking about that. Uh, yeah. And, and you mentioned time as well. It seems like a large part of your work revolves around the concept of time and your interest in time. Um, can you tell me a little bit how you came to this concept? Like, was there something in your background that sort of influenced it? Or how did, what, was, what sort of formed this obsession with time and time periods? Um, well, to tell you the truth the time uh, even though i went to math school and and i have a background in science uh time appeared later uh perhaps uh four years ago and uh and but it's obviously connected the, the history goes back all the way back to 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 when i uh, got interested in in science and mathematics and uh but yeah the time uh, the time, time, ideas about time, it's uh, sort of recent and especially about the, um, the, the what I, I think it's better to, to refer as, as times in plural sense that uh, mm. there's many rhythms. I find there, there's a lot of rhythms in the world, not only the human uh, clock driven uh, idea of time. And we're sort of going through one of those different rhythms right now, I think, as you mentioned, just the idea of this period of time where we're all inside and what might that mean going forward? We're all sort of unsure about it. Yeah, sure. And there's a, I also feel like there's a clear, for example, a clear uh, um, uh, lack of synchrony between the time of the virus and our time. And, mm. and, and of course, the virus... And us, we make a sort of an assemblage, uh, but we have different time, time scales. So you, it, if we take an action towards uh, proving the conditions uh, regarding the, vir the virus, I, it takes us two weeks to know if, if we succeeded. So there's a lag. For me, it's very interesting to, to understand these, these sort of temporal cycles. And, mm. uh, and also there's another... Um, interesting thing that I've noticed in terms of time is that uh, since the, the, stop, the, the, the traveling stopped, uh, in a way, it's like all these ideas of globalization suddenly uh, are pulled back. And, and so we time emerging differently in different parts of the world, whereas before we, 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 we were sort of synced 
to a one clock. And now you see like some places in Europe, for example, they're, um, they're getting better in their relationship with the virus and opening up. And, and so they, um, I think there's a really interesting sort of segmentation time. Oh, that's super interesting. I hadn't thought about that, that there could actually be sort of a different clock in different places based on what you're allowed to do rather than just the standardization of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really interesting. And you don't have to travel. I mean, the only thing is that I, we are all on the internet and, and the internet definitely keeps, a, a, I mean, there's a lot of rhythms in there, but but uh, but uh, we 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 have to make sure that that we open up Zoom in the same uh, time zone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> For now, maybe we could have like pre-recorded versions of ourselves that could answer questions in the future. Sure, or say like let's let's meet on the on the sunset. No, that wouldn't work, right? <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so within this uh, framework of time, what are some of the main philo- philosophies or philosophical questions? that you seek to understand through your work as it revolves around time? Uh, well, there's different, definitely different, uh, different uh, philosophical uh, background to this, but, uh, but mainly it comes from, from, um, from ecology, from thinking about ecology and, and for example, thinking about multi-species um, times. So, uh, I give an example, and then I'll go to an actual work mm-hmm. after that. But um, we have inside our gut different bacteria. Actually, we have a lot of uh, non-human uh, things inside of inside of of us. Uh, we have bacteria. We have uh, 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 fun- fungi. Different kinds of things that do different things, and and they have their own rhythm, right? So it's it's you have a uh, if you're digesting something, uh, it's not it's not necessarily gonna respond to your to your needs in tem- terms of time. So there's a different uh, there's a uh, we have to sort of acknowledge and um, and uh, to to those different rhythms. And so thinking uh, in terms of of that, uh, I guess a, a, a huge reference is uh, Donna Haraway. Uh, Mm-hmm. Who, uh, apart from talking about multi-species uh, becomings, uh, she also talks about the cyborg. Has a, a very uh, quite famous book, uh, the Cyborg Manifesto, mm-hmm. uh, sure. talking about the the this sort of uh, uh, symbiosis between um, computers, world technology, and and humans. And so, I mean, I'm thinking about. Recently, I've been thinking about that, Donna Haraway and others uh, in terms of time. And I guess all these three years of, of just a lot of uh, thinking, reading, and uh, doing work uh, led me to, to, to several works that I've done and I'm working still related to time. And what are those? Can you give us an example of one of those works? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm, I guess there's a lot of uh, to think about about time and and water, time and rivers, for example. I think from even from uh, in English, I don't know Heraclitus, Heraclito, yeah, uh, Heraclitus uh, saying that uh, that uh, you can't uh, swim in the in the same river twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sort of like implies a, a change uh, that time changes uh, ourselves. Uh, we we meet ourselves change the, the next time we, we swim in a river and perhaps the river as well it changed. So I mean there's a lot of 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 rivers and, and, and time, you know, that relationship at least using as tools to think. So uh, that's one of one of the reasons I choose a, a river to to um, um, reflect on time, uh, to think about time. And the also the, the other the other um, reason why I decided to make a work uh, inside a river, um, because I think uh, in the river, understanding the river, there's a lot of velocity. There's a lot of uh, different temporalities in different times uh, happening within a river. And, and I mean different things. I mean, um, 
the velocity of the water, turbulence, calm waters, swirls, uh, vortexes. There's many things that move in various ways, but also a river entails a sort of like a, a other relationship uh, with with the surroundings, uh, with the, uh, like like precipitation and mm. humidity, weather. So there's many many rhythms that coexist. Uh, in this ecosystem. So I, I, thinking about that, I decided that I wanted to make a work. In, 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 and, and so I, I chose the moving image to, to do this work because the moving Im image is also a time-based uh, practice. And so I wanted a way to, to uh, talk about the multiplicity of temporalities and velocities and times uh, in the river. So what I, uh, wanted, what I did is that I designed a snake-like artifact, like a sort of like a plastic um, uh, swimming snake, um, and and then I attached five submergible cameras to it, and in with different positions, and and so I throw I throw the artifact in the river. And and allow the the current to take it, and there's there's obviously um. I wanted to lose control, mm. uh, and that's sort of like a, an idea that I'm really interested in when thinking about time. We we tend to control everything through our temporality, our clocks. So I wanted to throw this, this sort of um, artifact, and it just goes down the river, and it records. And different stages of, of the river. So there's parts of the river where, where the water is uh, very very clear and very calm, and then there's other parts where it gets really uh, turbulent. And uh, and also you have like five different views. So it's not only the time. You have also this sort of like um, well, I I I want to say polyphonic, even mm -hmm. though it's not sound. Uh, I'm talking about like surround, image. but with video in a way that you can exactly, exactly. like almost like an immersive. Was this a snake sculpture, or what was this uh, object made out of? Oh, it's it's um, it's you could say it's an, a sculpture, but it's more uh, yeah, it's a fabricate. I fabricated an object, so the object is made of like a plastic tube, and then um, uh, it has different kinds of you know uh, do it yourself. Uh, sort of like fins. So I was trying to make it make it uh, swirl, you know, rotate. So I used, um, I don't know how how do you say this, like helixes or mm -hmm. different uh, kind of things that uh, that uh, could uh, make the the work interesting also in and and stable as well because because you know if it had had to be rigid enough. Not to to sort of become a sort of like a a mess, like it will go like a knot. Uh, it will become a knot, and and it, it and not too rigid that uh, it won't have that didn't have the flexibility to just like flow. So the idea is to make an object that that flows along with with the river. And, and which uh, river did you did you put this piece into? Uh, this is um, the Usumacinta River in Mexico. It's mm. um, it's a river that um, that um, it uh, gathers its waters uh, both from Guatemala and Mexico, and it's uh, a very, very, very uh, important and massive river in in well in the all the continent really. And um, but it's also interesting that it's it's a river that it's endangered at the moment, like, like I guess all of them. Uh, but uh, but still, is considered the only living river in Mexico. Uh, I've listened many times to to these um, uh, to these words, and and you, for me, they're really meaningful. One because it's uh, it calls. For a for a, it's an emergency, you know, to sort of take care of this last living river, but also because it explains very well that uh, 
that when you say leaving, you you mean not only just that the the the, the water is clean and there's plants around, but that there's a ecosystem that works still, and um, so it's a living system of exchanges. And so the work was really about that, and I, you know, it was designed to. Uh, well, you 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 went into the installation, and uh, it's there's five queens. Um, they're lying on the floor, like looking up. So as 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 you encounter the work, you have to look down, and you see sort of like the flow uh, flowing uh, through the the um, the monitors, mm-hmm. and they're synchronized. So. There's also sort of like some echoing of movement. So the, the 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 first camera moves to the left, and then the other cameras move along. So there's sort of like this idea of, of also the snake um, in there. So it's and, almost as if you brought the the river into this gallery or into this yeah. Uh, museum. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then uh, also I work with with Esteban Chapela, who's a cousin of mine, who's a uh, composer and um, electroacoustic uh, musician, and uh, he he uh, was in charge to making the soundtrack, and it was a an immersive experience. So the the, the cameras had submergible microphones as well, mm. and so we have to deal we had to deal with that because they're pretty flat sounds. Yeah, they were tinny tinny sound yeah so he had to work a lot with that but uh we i guess he made it work and and so you go into the installation and you really feel like you're sort of submerged in in the water as well and what did you want the visitors to sort of feel from seeing this installation to understand the river or to feel a different sense of what it's like to have a living ecosystem in a building or a different time scale well, I, I guess it's an, uh, a very interesting question because usually my 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 work up to four years ago, or I, I don't know how many years, but uh, I had a stage where my work uh, it is it was very uh, cerebral, cerebral, like mm-hmm. like very rational based, and I'm not I'm not saying uh, that's a bad thing, you know, like I really enjoy doing that, but. Um, but uh, for this uh, last exhibition that I had a place called Laboratorio Arte Alameda, um, I, I tried a um, different path to some of my works. And, and so this, this work about the river, the river Usumacinta, was also about uh, how, how the water and the flow sort of reverberates in, your, in our own bodies, like like. It was about yeah sensing, and and of course there's there's this sort of conceptual uh, background and thinking about time behind the work, but there's also something that is very much related to to yeah to sensing and to vibrations in the body and and seeing and and also I guess makes me also think about all the water that we have side you know and then we 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 have blood also flowing through our veins and and there's a lot of turbulence in there and Mm -hmm. actually it goes pretty fast and uh so i i think yeah i wanted to also to to explore that sort of part of the work the affective or sensing part of the work so it wasn't so much about a uh concept that you were trying to convey more about a feeling that you were trying to get across that we could somehow relate to biologically yeah, yeah, I think obviously, yeah, both. But uh, yeah, it's the first time that I, well, I guess all art is about both thinking and sensing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and because it's experience, well, or at least most of it is experience uh, through the senses. But yeah, this installation was a bit more uh, sort of uh, oriented into into that sort of, yeah. Let's talk about yeah. your series, uh, Noise Paintings. Uh, presents sort of a variety of samples of paintings depicting white noise, but they look very abstract. Uh, I'm kind of curious about the story behind noise paintings. How did this piece come about? Uh, Well, um, it 
came about uh, through my interest in, in, in science and astronomy, especially. And, uh, and so one of the things that I, that I obviously, th- well, I say obviously think because, because uh, when you think uh, about astronomy, you, you're, you're almost forced to think about time as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's sort of like everything we see, uh, it's past light sort of like a, especially if it comes from very, very uh, far away, it's actually fossil light we're seeing. And, and so, yeah, the, the question of time, it's just com- completely connected with, with thinking about astronomy. So uh, in thinking about astronomy and, and especially in exploring some very interesting um, uh, telescopes that are situated in really remote places like like extinguished volcanoes and and you know like completely remote places um but um thinking about astronomy um i sort of got interested in an antenna that it was used in this, in 65 in 1965 at bell laboratories detect something that it's called the microwave background radiation is this um, an antenna that you'd heard about before, or how did you become interested in, in an antenna? Oh, I, I have no idea. I think I became interested first in the, in the microwave background radiation, and then I sort of doing some, yeah, some, some internet searches. I sort of like, I, 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 I guess I ran into this antenna that it's in New Jersey, uh, uh, sort of like a, in the middle of, of nowhere, well, in a <laughs> town called Homedale, uh, where, where it, there, there was uh, some important buildings uh, of Bell Labs offices. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I saw this antenna, and, and today it's almost like a ruin, like a technological, um, archaeological um, sort of uh, ruin uh, that it's actually a, a a landmark for the state of New Jersey, so it, it's so it has a, a monumental importance now in terms of as monument, and so it, it it was very interesting to me to think about how an antenna that was used to detect the microwave background radiation, which I will tell you in a moment what what, what is that, but yes, please, um, uh, I, like seeing this this sort of antenna that it make made this big breakthrough. Uh, just there abandoned, you know, like, like see the antenna sort of like a, uh, well, yeah, in ruins. And, and so it, it, it also, once again, it contrasts the, the time of the planet, the time of, you know, of the universe and, and the time of human, humankind that, uh, was just barely used for, for a year. To, to do this, and now it's a it's it's a ruin, a technological ruin, and it's a very interesting object, sort of like an ear, and and so the story with the microwave back background radiation is that um, um so this radi- radiation, uh, they the two engineers from the labs detected this uh, re- radiation, this signal that um. That it's it's sort of like a. They confirmed the existence of this radiation, but because it was a, a theory before, and basically what 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 this re- radiation is all about is that uh, after the Big Bang, the Big Bang was a, you know this massive explosion, mm-hmm. so energetic that uh, it left sort of like a remand, like a like a echo of 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 energy that. Uh, that when the universe started to cool down after the Big Bang, the radiation started to sort of like fill the entire universe. So basically it's this sort of like signal, very, very low energetic signal now, because it's been billions of years, it was billions of years ago. So it's a very sort of subtle uh, form of interference or noise that it's basically uh, traveling all over. the universe and and so it's 
Wait, so the, the, the Big Bang left a frequency that still is detectable is what you're saying? Exactly. That, that's, that's it. And, so, and by this, yeah. this antenna, this, is, this antenna was built specifically to look for this signal? No, it was uh, actually uh, built for, for making, um, for enabling communications, especially uh, telephone communications or even TV or a radio between Europe and London and, well, Europe and, and US. So basically, this antenna was used to, to send and receive a signal that it was bounced uh, through a Either, well, it wasn't at the moment, it wasn't a satellite, it was more like a balloon, you know, like a mm -hmm. yeah, and and they they would sort of like a send a, a signal to the balloon and then uh send it back to to Europe. And it was, I think, it was a project called Echo or something. Mm. I, I'm, I, I'm not sure, but but well, they discovered they, the existence of this other frequency, well, yeah. So they they, they were the, the engineers were working on on this telecommunications and they they send all the time they could hear a, a noise like a like very similar noise uh, as the one that uh, the analog tv did when when it was between channels you know the white yeah, like noise the white the, yeah white yeah, noise sure the, from, from analog tv so it was very similar to that so they could hear this interference and they were really annoyed by it of course and and they were they speculated that perhaps it were the you know like the birds, well I mean they they um, they had to clean the the antenna and so they they were like very um, yes as as I said and annoyed because every every <laughs> uh, place the antenna can turn around to, in every direction three sixty degrees and uh, and so they could hear the same interference all over the place. So at the very end, they they uh, understood and uh, they discovered that that noise was actually the Big Bang, and wow. uh, and so it just like blew my head out, you know, like this. Yeah, it's this, blowing my mind right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's just crazy yeah, to think that uh, you could sort of hear the uh, the, the 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 Big Bang, uh, or at least the fossil. It's a fossil of the Big Bang. And and so this is sort of like a, a microwave signal, and uh, and it, it's strangely it's close enough to a TV analog uh, signal that they say you know some some scientists say that uh, up to one percent of the white noise from analog television it accounts for uh, the cosmic. Uh, the microwave, the cosmic microwave radiation. So, it, so we're seeing. Know, wait, yeah. wait, are you saying that we're seeing one percent of our white noise in an analog old to kind of tube TV is actually a sort of a remnant or a capture of the Big Bang? Then, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and you, you don't know which which part though. All right. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I would buy. That's very beautiful. To get to go and get uh, analog TVs, uh, they're not easy to get anymore. Uh, but yeah, if you have to find one, you know, like uh, get get one and just sit and watch, you know, the, the look the, for the that one percent. Yeah. <laughs> so how did this become a series of paintings then? Oh, uh, so I got interested in that one percent and the whole the whole poetic possibilities of of white noise, and and in a way, I I I wanted to um, find a way to perhaps uh, paint or draw or do something with this signal. But I didn't want to just, um, in a very direct way, I didn't want to represent, uh, go and copy, you know, with, with, my, with my hands uh, to paint or to draw uh, in resemblance of the, the, the white noise. I wanted to, to, to establish a connection, I guess, with from the the, the 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 signal and the the work of art so i i decided that i want um design a, a program and a artifact a piece of hardware as well 
that uh, that it consists on an antenna, just a regular old analog antenna. Uh, but that antenna, the signal that comes from that antenna, it's just um, uh, it's passed through a computer, and then the computer uh, takes the snapshots of those white noises, those different moments of white noise signal, and uh, with that information, I programmed a CNC machine, uh, which is basically a robot uh, uh, that you know, is controlled. Yeah, well, you give, inst give instructions to these these sort of machines, and they they do basically follow coordinate. And uh, so I made so the antenna. Uh, the information goes through the antenna and through the computer, takes a snapshot, and then give instructions for a CNC to actually paint these images using oil paintings. And so I had to design an algorithm which translates signal into, into instructions, uh, G-code instructions for the CNC um, machine. And do, you, do you view this as a, sort of a translation of white noise? Or uh, like, how do you view this conceptually? Like, is it um, translating that 1% of the white noise that was left over from the Big Bang? Yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah, I, I, it is a translation. I also like the word inscription in the sense that, I, that I, it's sort of like a, a, a more direct form of writing. From the white noise signal, it goes almost directly uh, into the robot um, sort of uh, arm or or pencil but um uh obviously when you design an algorithm you're putting some some agency into into the process you're sort of like modifying it so i it is a translation but i also like to think about it as a as an inscription more than a representation mm -hmm. and uh, but yeah so that's the sort of conceptual um idea behind the works and and then uh yeah basically what what i have to do is to paint using uh, different kinds of uh, well grayscale and 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 i choose uh well the white noise when it's digitalized it has 256 uh values for for mm -hmm. for from white to black going through all the grays but but then i have to reduce that of course to because I, I really can't, it's very hard to paint with 256 uh, values of different grays. So what I decided to do is just pick a given number of, of paints, of colors, and then uh, I use those. But actually, when, when you know, in the oil painting, when you layer one, one uh, gray after the, the next one, you have a sort of like a very, a very complex uh, shading and uh, different tones, and so in in a way uh, they're quite nice. You know, they they're quite complex these images. And uh, yeah, how how many are there in the series? There are, um, uh, I think, there are around thirty two. And you know, also in relationship to the one percent, for me, it's really nice to think that uh, that perhaps some of these works have more or less of that 1% and right. uh, or <laughs> nobody knows one yeah yeah it's but interesting yeah, too it's... that i'm kind of curious how long it takes the cnc machine to paint one portrait i guess you call them a portrait i don't know if you call them that um because these are obviously captured in fractions of seconds i assume right yeah exactly yeah it's like an instant or yeah portrait yeah absolutely and how and, long does uh, it take? How long is that instant translated to, or how long does it take for a machine to represent that instant in oil? Well, that's interesting. Very interesting question because, uh, uh, yeah, of course, an instant comes. There's a sort of like a time sort of scale, you know, that expands, and um, so uh, it takes takes uh, uh, about between one week and two. Let's say like it takes one color a day, and uh, and then you need some space for the for the uh, paint to to dry a little bit, and uh, and then yeah, so it takes it takes about 
yeah, two weeks, let, let's say. Two weeks per painting. Yeah. Wow. And you did and, 30 of yeah. it, you said. Yeah, so it's, it was just painting <laughs> all day. Yeah, and oh, I had this show, you know, like I had this show where I have to present all of them. And and actually, well, I thank a lot the gallery for doing this, but I was, you know, like like doing the works and they were like, oh, yeah, we want many of them. How many can you do? Can you do 30? Oh, no, <laughs> and I was I've been like, there. oh, wow. You know? Yeah, making more than 10 of anything is just can be a total <laughs> yeah. nightmare. I and once then, had to make 50 of, of a thing. And I just, I don't know why I agreed to make 50. It was the worst idea. Exactly. And, uh, uh, uh yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and well, so I had to, um, get sort of one, uh, there's some, some today there's really cool CNC machines, like really, um, do it yourself, uh, machines. So I'm not really an expert in robotics or anything, but, uh, but I was able to get sort of like um, uh, some machines that you didn't have to build from scratch but they have to put together and and so I, I yeah so I had like two or three machines actually working at the same time did you ever show the final results to anyone at Bell Labs yeah I did yeah I did uh, and yeah well Bell Labs has a very sort of like a uh, interesting or funky history. Uh, and, um, so, um, yeah, I did at the moment, I, I had some, some, there was some resonance, well, some, some, um, interest from a couple of people in, within Bell Labs, but not from, from so much from the company, but, um, recently, uh, Bell Labs, uh, was acquired by Nokia. And, the phone uh, company. Yeah. The phone company, Nokia, is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So it's, I think it's called uh, Nokia Bell Labs today. And uh, so it's, it's a, obviously way smaller than, than what it was uh, for many years in the US, but, but uh, they're, they're still doing a lot of interesting research and they have like a great. Um, uh, well, there's a great building with many iconic, um, interesting things to see in a call in a place called Murray Hill, um, in New Jersey. And, and, uh, but anyways, uh, they, they, they are really interested in, in, in the works and we, we have been thinking about, you know, showing them, uh, showing the works there and, uh, but yeah, there's not, there's still not like concrete plans. Yeah, that's fantastic, though. Yeah, I want to pivot to uh, one more piece today while we still have time here. It's yeah. an older work that you created. Uh, it's in your series called Ask Google. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Ask Google series? How did it come about? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I think it, it just com co goes back sort of almost to um, to the very beginnings where, where I started to make art because I was uh, I I went to, to math school for a couple of years and then I didn't I didn't finish but but I became really interested in in things as um, philosophical questions that they were sort of underneath the the mathematics uh, things like like you know thinking about paradoxes and uncertainty and certainty and contradictions and um, so the, the, all these sort of um, possibilities, uh, the, the concept of limit in mathematics. So the, all these concepts, um, I was interested. I was interested in thinking about these th things in terms of from a philosophical perspective, and not so much from from mathematics. Um, so those questions sort of like stayed um, stayed around for a while. And they they were translated into works that um, relate with with Google and uh, with technology. And so I was interested at the moment to see how when we mediated our communication with the computer, uh, there was a lot of misunderstanding and uh, in that relationship. And so I did. The 
a sort of like a, a series of work back then uh, about translation and using the Google Translator as a as a sort of like a, a way to uh, talk about miscommunications or contradictions or paradoxes. So, for example, I sort of uh, translated, um, you know, the famous idiom, the Peter Piper, Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Uh-huh. I, I translated that from English to Spanish, to English to Spanish many times using the Google Translate. This was in 2007, so it was, well, it was sort of like the, the early times of Google Translate. And so I was interested in how these mechanical sort of um, processes incorporated um, errors. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and that, that gave birth to the Ask Google, but uh, I, I, I want, I, perhaps I can, I can read both, you know, first the, the sure. translation piece, and then we can, we can sort of, I can explain if we have time with the Ask Google and read one of those. Yeah, that's fantastic. So we're going to start with the translation piece? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, I guess you all know the, um, the tongue twister. Yeah, Peter yeah, Piper. So, yeah, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. A peck of pickled peppers Peter Pi- Piper picked. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where's the peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? No. Okay, that's how you started? Yeah. So I started like that, and then it just goes to Spanish. Este, and, and, you know, well, for, for those of you that, that know some Spanish, it says something like, El gaitero de Peter eligió el pec de pimientas que conservadas en vinagre. El pec del gaitero conservado en el vinagre de Peter de las pimientas eligió. Si el gaitero de Peter eligió el pec de pimientas conservadas en vinagre, De donde peck del gaitero conservando, conservado en el vinagre de Peter, de las pimientas se elige. So is, then, that, is that a very literal translation then? I'm just, uh, I'm curious because actually my mother is a Spanish translator uh, yeah. and she, she deals with a lot of slang. And obviously I'm sure there's a version of a tongue twister in Spanish that's very similar, but this, this sounds like a literal translation. Exactly. So, so it's translated with the computer and, and, and then, um, yeah, exactly. There's an equivalent one in Spanish. I also did that one and, and then translated literally to, but it, I mean, it's literally as the computer does it. Uh, I think today the, the Google Translator actually, um, from all this, the books that, that they have scanned, it, perhaps if you put this tongue twister, it will you give you the equivalent, perhaps. Um, but back then, that wasn't the case. So it's it's translated literally, and it doesn't make any sense in the Spanish, mm-hmm. you know. And actually, the el gaitero, I don't know what does that refers to. So it's it's very very strange. And then you will notice now that I that I read the the English one. It's harder. It's hard to read, because, harder than the one because it's just non nonsense. But it has some rhythm and things. So the final one after. I guess like 20 or 25 times, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it says, It was determined that the remains of Peter Piper filled peppers preserved in vinegar. <laughs> the rest of Peter Piper peppers preserved in vinegar have remained good option for conservation. If the can of peppers, Peter Piper of Piper the pepper, to keep the vinegar, where the boundaries are invited, Piper rhythm of drums with Peter Piper picked ripe hand pick. It sounds a little bit like a neural network trained uh, <laughs> text that we hear now today. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, it's 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 just uh, it's uh, yeah. I, I think it's funny, and, and so uh, and so this led to this other series where you basically queried Google for different phrases. Exactly. So the idea is that uh, I was sort of trying to understand how communication is mediated by the computer and and then yeah so um i sort of uh, i was thinking of how when we search for things on the internet those those things you, you leave a trace and those trace 
together as a collective, they sort of like a, a speak uh, about a collective feeling, I guess. Uh, even if it's twisted or you know or biased by by you know by different ways of well, it's an algorithm. So there's there's a, a bias by design, biased by by I guess by mistake or uh, the, the the nature itself of the of the algorithm. So basically, these algorithms, my understanding, they're based on on the most popular searches. Mm-hmm. So when when you search um, something, the suggestions you get from Google uh, search are the you know these the sort of the most popular ones. And uh, so I made some of these. Before reading one, I I, I have to say that I, that I I chose to just remove the text, like like take the text out of you know the, the browser view, let's say, and and I printed that as like white you know, white typography with a black background. When you see them, there's no there's no connection, uh, immediate connection to to a Google search. So they become sort of like a, they're decontextualized. So they become. They're poems, way, basically. Yeah, they're poems. Right. And, uh, so I have, I, I can read perhaps a couple. The, the ones that are at the moment were more sort of uh, scary, were like the, the, the ones that are relate with cultural or racial um, things, you know? So. Um, yeah, why don't you read us two of them? Okay. Maybe two that that you feel are um, pertinent to today, even though they were these were created in two thousand seven. You said, yeah, they were two thousand seven, and uh, yeah. So I I will I will read one um, just to sort of um, yeah the the one uh, there's one about uh, Mexicans. Why are Mexicans? That's a query from two thousand and seven, and. Uh, yeah. So I read it. So it says, why are Mexicans short? Why are Mexicans so ugly? Why are Mexicans so perverted? Why are Mexicans stupid? Why are Mexicans called Wieners? Why are Mexicans dirty? Why are Mexicans brown? Why are Mexicans fat? Why are Mexicans so loud? Why are Mexicans coming to the U.S.? Um, so I guess, yeah, it was, it, it, it is, you know, there's not a single positive thing about this, you know, um, and and uh and it happens it happens like the same for every every nationality so really fast I, i'll read americans so why are americans so stupid why are americans so fat why are americans afraid of dragons why are americans so ignorant why are americans so afraid of socialism why are americans so obese why are americans called yanks why are americans so dumb why are Americans overweight? Why are Americans so religious? And um, so, yeah, I guess I I was uh, shocked, and uh, and I, in a way, like making these sort of poems, decontextualized, uh, become very strong, you know, and very sort of with very political, uh, yeah, underlying, I guess. Question. I think it's it's fascinating how in every work we've talked about today, whether it's the river uh, or the white noise piece or even these Google series pieces, it's a, it seems to be about traces, about people, or you trying to capture the traces of language or the Big Bang or even the ecosystem of the river uh, and presenting it to us. Is that how you see your, do you ever think about traces as being an integral part of your work? Yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah. I, different moments yeah i see that too i think there's a a connection also with i started a photographer and i basically see photography as a form of index and as like a like a connection like an like an indexical connection a trace and um so i i i think the 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 whole idea of trace in my work it just permeates a lot of work i guess and uh and especially this internet the works that I did, there's sort of like a, I'm, I'm pointing out things, you know, they're not really, so it's basically pointing out to those, how those traces are com, 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 configured, no? Right. And who is making those choices to, to, to remember in a way. <laughs> exactly. 
so if thank you, don't you so mind much. That, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just read the the Earth one because I sure. think it's it's important that I re- I decided to make one last piece um, Google ask Google because it's relevant for for the ecological crisis we're living today. So I so made, this is a more recent piece. Yeah, this is a, it's a uh, 2020 piece using the same methodology, and so it's it says Earth is flat. Earth is round, Earth is flat theory, Earth, Earth is flat proof, Earth is flat meme, Earth is unicorn, Earth is not flat, Earth is not round, Earth is flat Bible, Earth is dying. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't want to end the podcast on that note necessarily. <laughs> but thank you so much. Before we go, actually, we'll do this since we do it often here on State of the Art. We have a, a quick rapid fire question uh, okay. period that we just shoot off quick questions to you that are not about your artwork at all. Cool. Um, so, uh, so we don't end on the earth is dying. Um, yeah. Let's go with some quick questions for you, Emilio Chapella. Uh, what is your favorite time of the day? Uh, the very, very early morning, the first ray of sun. <laughs> where is your favorite place to visit in Berlin? Because that's where you're located now, right? Yeah. Uh, now it has become the, the, the Grunewald. So the forest. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The are are you making any works in the forest? I'm making what? Sorry. Are you making any new works in the forest? No, no. For now, just walking. And, yeah. Enjoying yeah, it. Perhaps I will. When was the last time you felt out of time Oof, well just very 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 recently with the covid crisis all the time you know yeah that makes sense yeah and if you could travel in time to one other time period where when would it be and why Oof, well um hmm. that's a that's a uh, a tough one uh uh well i would love to yeah the uh pre-columbine mexico so Hmm. yeah i guess i I guess there you know see the mayan (laughs) thank you emilio thank you so much for joining us today um we're going to post links to all the works that we talked about today on instagram and twitter so stay tuned for that emilio chapella thank you again for being on state of the art thanks a lot for for, yeah thank thank you i really enjoyed Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. Uh, you can always follow me at Gabe BC. Uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions or comments you want to relay to us, you can send me an email at Gabe at thestateoftheart.org. Uh, we're happy to read some questions on the air or uh, communicate directly with you through social media at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram. State of the Art is an at art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Wesson Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire and Vanessa Wilson is our producer and I hope that they're all doing well and uh, I've been communicating with them a little bit and they seem like they're safe and healthy and I hope our audience is also uh, doing well and staying indoors and being safe so we'll talk to you again next week thanks